Supersonic Pod Comics presents House of Heroes by Ben Avery. Prologue, one of four, the Man God. Banff National Park, the Canadian Rocky Mountains, Alberta, Canada, two weeks before the destruction of Angernu. There are three types of people in the world: those who believe in Bigfoot, those who do not believe, and those who have had tea with Bigfoot on a Sunday afternoon in his cave. Hercules was part of the third group. If, by had tea, you meant did battle across the Redwood Forest with an entire Sasquatch clan. But that had been over a century ago. Still, Hercules smiled at the memory. That battle had inspired a handful of legends and tall tales that were still told today. At the time, it had been frustrating, but these days Hercules was more interested in his actions being remembered than his name. Interestingly enough, none of the legends inspired by that battle had any mention of the Bigfoot by any of their many names. The closest it came was the old yarn about an unnamed cowboy wrestling with a herd of buffalo and driving them from the plains to the coast. Another tale told of Pecos Bill riding that tornado. Hercules, in that telling, was Pecos Bill. The Bigfoot clan was the tornado. Hercules' smile slowly faded. That one did hurt. He hated that Pecos Bill, a lazy and weak and lanky man, nothing like Hercules, got all the credit on that one. Pecos Bill, a man whose reputation was stolen from other, greater men. He was nothing like the lion of a man Hercules was. Even today, Hercules was a lion of a man. Over the centuries since his youth, Hercules had hardly changed. Someone from Hercules' earliest days as a hero on Earth would still recognize him today, even if the fashion had changed slightly. These days, he tended to wear combat boots and dark, form-fitting jeans, and on a day like today, he wore a leather vest, more for the pockets than to cover anything. But his hair was still wild and shaggy, and with his beard it framed his face like a lion's mane. He no longer wore the skin of a lion, but he made sure he kept its countenance. Even wearing the three-piece suit that Jane required for those formal occasions, lion was the word he imagined people thought when he walked into the room. He had hardly changed. Except for that gray hair in his beard. That had bothered him more than he expected. But one gray hair after two and a half thousand years? Not too shabby. Besides... Grizzly men natural hair color for manly men took care of that problem. It worked just as advertised when he saw it on Facebook. But Hercules did not want to think on that. His mind returned to the past, to that epic battle. And it had, indeed, ended with the sharing of some tea. And good tea it was, too. Nay, great tea. Perhaps the most fortunate side effect of that battle was that while it did make for a complicated relationship with the Bigfoot clan for a while, it also opened up communication with the House of Beasts, as they had come to be known which was why Hercules was now standing in the middle of the forest, in the middle of the Canadian Rockies, hunting Bigfoot. Communication with the Bigfoot was already difficult because they refused to use technology. As the main members of the House of Beasts, or the House of Cryptids, which was gaining traction as a new title for their designation in the Council of Great Houses, and would probably come up for a vote in the next Great Council meeting, the Bigfoot communicated with the outside world via messengers, sometimes sending eagles with paper strapped to their leg sometimes allowing a tech-savvy chukacabra to place a FaceTime call, sometimes venturing into populated areas enough to leave a letter in a post office drop-off. Where they got the postage was a point of speculation. These messages were almost exclusively a summons, a request to come to meet with a representative face-to-face. The messages were also quite rare, but ever since Hercules had established his own great house, the Bigfoot tended to request that he be the one to make contact with them, 
He could understand why they did not want anyone from the House of Nocturne, but why not someone from the House of the High Folk, which had taken the place of the House of Titans as the highest of the great houses? Nay, he knew why. The House of the High Folk were jerks. On the other hand, this request added a level of legitimacy to Hercules' own house. He did not create the House of Heroes, but he was asked to join it as the last remaining member of the House of Titans, which had folded in the mid-1800s. Folded because the remaining old gods had left the Earth, all except Ares, scattering themselves to the metaphorical winds of space. The last he had heard from any of them, they had all taken up residence in some dark matter cavity between galaxies, perhaps moving on into another reality where they could rule. Hercules, who was not truly a god to begin with, had elected to stay on Earth, although there had been that brief stint on Mars in the early 1900s that had resulted in... But that was a time Hercules truly did not want to think about. The war on Mars with his half-brother had resulted in many horrible things, mostly for the Martians, but it had also caused Hercules to evaluate many of his life choices. And so he was more inclined to join Jane in her creation of the House of Heroes, more inclined to be a less selfish hero of great renown and become a hero of the people. He pulled his phone out of his pocket. It was small in his large, powerful hand. Carefully, gently, he tapped out a message to Jane. Chirking in. Hasn't mad contact, it read. He sighed. Somehow, autocorrect had gotten turned off. He wondered if Ray had done this as a practical joke. He wouldn't put it past that bitter automaton. But a practical joke implied a sense of humor. Unless Ray had been pretending to not have a sense of humor all this time, as a joke, Hercules stopped that line of thought. The circular logic made his mind spin just a little bit. He looked back at his phone. Bah! He announced to no one except himself. Spell-checking is not for one such as Hercules. She will know what I mean. A twig snapped. His head snapped up. His eyes surveyed the tree line. Just a moose. But no, not just a moose. A powerful, beautiful, graceful member of creation. Time was, he would have appreciated the beauty of this animal and honored its magnificence by hunting and battling and, of course, winning and killing it. A holdover from his early days, spending time with the great hunters of the past. But the centuries had softened Hercules. Now he was content to watch the moose, admiring its slow strength and its peaceful majesty, and merely imagine hunting and battling and, of course, winning and killing it. Absently, he tapped send with his thumb. He sighed as he felt the screen crack under the pressure. Bah, he said. Touch screens are not for one such as Hercules. The moose paused, looked over its shoulder at Hercules, snorted, and continued on its way. Foul beast, he muttered, looking at me with such contempt would have earned you the honor of becoming my newest cloak not two hundred years ago. The moose did not look back, but instead disappeared into the woods. He sighed again, wondering how Jane would respond when he told her he had broken his fourth phone in four months. It vibrated. He looked at the device, cracks spiderwebbed across the entire screen, worse than he expected. But still, her reply appeared. Please hurry. Need you back ASAP. He slipped it into his pocket, returned his attention to the forest around him. He had not been on a good hunt in a while. As annoying as it was to be summoned by someone who made you seek them in order to have a conversation that they initiated in the first place, he did enjoy the hunt. 
even if it would not end in feasting on the carcass of his quarry. Maybe it would end with some tea, though? He could hope. He wasn't sure what was in Sasquatch tea. Actually, he was sure he didn't want to know. All he needed to know was this. It was good. Nay, great. You are out there, he said, and I will find you. With a speed and stealth belied by his great mass, Hercules gently trotted through the woods. I will smell you, he laughed, and I will find you. He stopped, dropped to a knee, touched the ground. The Bigfoot traveled lightly, in spite of their reputation. The rare, genuine impressions of a Sasquatch footprint were intentional. These creatures made little or no impact on their environment and were virtually untraceable unless you knew where to look and what to look for. Footprints were certainly not what to look for. If you found footprints, it was because they wanted you to find them. They left them for you, so you would show the footprints to other people. They wanted the people to discredit you and mock you, because everyone knew that Bigfoot did not exist, so the footprints must be fake, and the finder must be a fraud. It was a twist on the old saying that the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince people he didn't exist. To the Bigfoot... The greatest trick they ever pulled was allowing some people to think they might exist. Photos, footprints, pieces of fur, all that stuff was deliberately planned to allow them to hide in plain sight. So Hercules was not looking for tracks. He was looking for a scent. He put his fingers to his nostrils, disappointed. No trace of the Bigfoot. Just the usual smells of a forest floor. He continued a few steps, crouched again, smelled. Repeat. Repeat, repeat. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Jane once speculated that the Bigfoot played these games as a test. If you could find them, you were worthy of the honor of hearing what they had to say. Hercules kept going back and forth between annoyance at their obvious childishness and enjoying the thrill of the hunt. Briefly, he wished he could enlist the services of that guy they had met in the 1990s. What was his name? Hawk? Hawkton? Something to do with that bird. He'd be able to sniff out a Bigfoot in no time. Hercules and Jane had worked with the guy a few times. His senses had made him a valuable asset on more than one occasion, even if he chose not to join the house. But Jane wished him to be left alone. He had retired, and she wanted to honor that. The guy had successfully found that rogue Bigfoot for them in 1998, though. He'd sure make it easier for Hercules now. It was going on 40 hours of searching. But that meant 40 hours away from the regular routine, 40 hours running around the mountains, 40 hours of a great challenge. He stood, closed his eyes, centered himself, sniffed. Was that it? The gentle undertones of skunk wrapped in decay with a bouquet of wet dog? It was. Ha ha, he thundered. I knew it. You're out there. You're out there. Slowly. Carefully at first, he stepped forward, then to the side, trying to gauge in which direction the smell grew stronger. Like a slow-motioned, and clumsy, line dancer, he sidestepped, spun, spun back. It only took a couple minutes of this to establish a general direction. He moved forward, following his nose like a divining rod. The scent grew stronger. This was good. The Bigfoot was close. It also meant the Bigfoot wanted to be found. While carriers of distinct and awful smells, they were also masters of hiding their scent. 
Perhaps the Bigfoot was himself growing tired of this game. Breaking through some tight branches, Hercules found himself in an open clearing on the edge of a deep ravine. Found you, he bellowed, for as talented as Hercules was with his stealthy movement, he was not one for subtlety. But there was nothing there. He closed his eyes again, centered himself. The dead, wet dog fermenting in skunk juice's smell had come from this direction. Was it behind him now? Two feet slapped into his back, and Hercules stumbled forward, knocked off balance. He spun around to see, and smell, the Bigfoot, not a yard away from him. The Bigfoot was regaining its own balance after the attack. It stood taller than Hercules, but Hercules was not a tall man. His muscular frame gave the illusion of size when you looked at him without anything or anyone nearby. But in truth, he was just a touch over six feet when he wore boots. Which is why he wore boots. The Bigfoot and the Demigod stood face to face, squaring off. The monster's body was wiry and tough, covered in straggly, tangled hair. Its face did look like a combination of a human and an ape, but only at a glance. Given time to study its features, which few people ever got, it was clearly its own thing. More dog-faced boy than missing Link. Are you going to make me fight you? The Bigfoot signed to Hercules. Or can we just talk about what I called you out here for? I did plan on blessing you with the honor of battle, Hercules bellowed. Hercules answered in English. The Bigfoot, Gar was its name, understood English, but its mouth was only able to form a few words of human language. A similar issue existed for the Bigfoot's language. Humans simply could not replicate the sounds of the Sasquatch in any way that the Bigfoot could recognize as actual words. Living around the periphery of human society, many of the Bigfoot have managed to learn enough English and Spanish to understand the spoken language, although the northern Bigfoot clans tended to learn French instead. Anyway, Hercules continued, we do both enjoy it. True, the Bigfoot signed back, but it will take up much time that we do not have. Four or five generations ago, Bigfoot generations, that is, this sign language had been developed for communication with humans, who almost never spent enough time to be able to comprehend the spoken language of the Bigfoot. Then why do you insist on hiding and making me hunt? In answer to Hercules' question, Gar replied, Old habits? I've always loved leading you on a great chase ever since I was a kid and you tracked me down when you were looking for my uncle. Gar's uncle. The rogue Bigfoot in 1999. What a fiasco. That incident almost revealed not only the existence of the Bigfoot clans, but the existence of the great houses as well. Tensions from that incident still existed. Hercules noticed that the House of High Folks started referring to the House of Beasts as the House of Monsters after that, something they still did to this day. So what have you called me here for? Hercules asked. And have you brought any tea? On a human face, Gar's expression, squinting eyes and bared teeth, would have been taken as aggressive and angry. Many close-up Sasquatch sightings had mistaken the expression as such. In truth, the Sasquatch was laughing, usually laughing at how scared the human hiker was, because they thought they were aggressive and angry. What's so funny, Hercules said. I knew you'd ask about that. From somewhere, Hercules didn't want to think about where, Gar produced a mug with some steaming hot tea. The tea was good. For a brief time... The two just sat together in the forest, drinking the tea in silence. Ambrosia, he said to Gar, gently breaking the silence. Gar answered with a grunt of his own in the Sasquatch tongue. Hercules did not know what his friend said, but he agreed and lifted his cup. 
Gar returned the salute, and the two drained their cups. Now, Gar said, to business. I have asked you to come here because for years the Bigfoot clans have noticed that there has been an unbalance in the world. Ah, yes, the pollution I've heard so much about, Hercules said. I am knowledgeable about that. I listen to NPR. He was, of course, lying. But he had been in the room while Jane listened to the talkers on the radio, and he was pretty sure he heard them talking about pollution. Gar shook his head sadly and signed. If only it were so simple. Yes, some of that pollution has had ill effects on the ecosystem, but this is something else. Something worse. Much worse. Humanity has not treated the Earth well. I still think the Creator should have given us dominion over the world instead of those idiots. Hey now, Hercules said feebly. Some of my best friends have been humans. In the past. These days, the only human he had any real interaction with was Michael. And Michael wasn't the most talkative of people. Of course, having no mouth tended to have that effect on people. Look what they've done with the place, Gar signed. Idiots! But the creator's plans are not my plans. Indeed, Hercules agreed. His father had taught him that long ago. Please understand, Gar continued. What I'm telling you? We have been aware of it for years. But we have not understood the implications. We have not known the source. We have seen the effects. Something has pierced our planet, infected it, and the infection has grown. It is like that disease, cancer. It was growing beneath the surface, unseen. After a while, cancer will make its presence known with terrible effects on the body. What I describe to you is happening now. It is making its presence known, and it will eventually destroy the world that the humans have built. It may destroy all life, or it may just make life much more difficult. But either way, I have been authorized to let you in on this knowledge. Do with it what you will. Just some vague apocalyptic warning? Hercules huffed. Do you know how many vague apocalyptic warnings I've heard over the centuries? The only time a vague apocalyptic warning ever really came true was when the vague apocalyptic warning came from someone involved in the actual apocalypse. Like my dad. If he had a vague apocalyptic warning, watch out. But if Mountaintop Prophet Man issued the warning, you could be reasonably sure it wasn't going to happen. He stopped to consider. Unless Mountaintop Prophet Man was one of his. Hercules pointed up reverentially. Or that one weather guy in Nova Scotia. That guy knows when a minor apocalypse is about to hit. Gar signed back to Hercules. True. Vague apocalyptic warnings tend to have dubious merit, but we have watched over the years, and I've given you my warning. Now, I give you an offer. We, and by we, I mean the House of Beasts and all who we represent, are moving further into the shadows. We are going into hiding to protect ourselves. Unlike the humans, we do not have the advantage of numbers. We are retreating into the wilds, what few wilds are left. You will not be able to reach us. This fight is yours if there is even a chance to fight. We plan to hide. We plan to survive. Hercules did not know how to respond. Instead, he stared at Gar, trying to understand, failing. Gar continued, The Sasquatch clans, the Chupacabra, all the sentient cryptids, 
we came together in our own council. This is what we decided. We did not all agree. In fact, the only thing we all agreed on when this council was called was this. We would all abide by the decision. And so, all of the cryptids are united on this. We are no longer part of the human world, except the Ursa clan of bears over by the Alaskan border. But they were never team players. And there's a few individuals. But here is my offer. Given the nature of your house and the size, we extend the offer to you and yours to join us. The House of Heroes was small, currently only four members strong. Where the House of Beasts and the House of the High Folk represented entire populations, the House of Heroes represented merely the group of people who were in the house. Technically, the House of Heroes represented humanity, but that was a mere technicality. They only represented humanity because they protected humanity, fighting unseen threats in secret. Also, they had connections with some of humanity's higher authorities. But no one in the house was technically human. Hercules, being half-human, was the closest of all of them. Size, however, was not a determining factor for a house to exist, and a small house was not unheard of. Small houses had come and gone over the ages. For a few years, Hercules had been the sole representative and sole member of the House of Titans. Not that he took his responsibilities seriously. And some houses, like the House of Nocturne, started small and grew because of their longevity. A house did not need to represent some bigger population or bigger idea to have a place on the council. Although it did help. I will have to talk to Jane and the others, Hercules said. But I doubt we will accept your offer. Our house exists to help humanity, not to run from it. No, you don't run from humanity, Gar said, but you do hide from them, to be sure. It is best that they not see us, Hercules argued. If they knew what I was, or what Jane was... Gar signed back. The disruption of knowing a god or an alien or that metal thing or that monster walked in their midst will be minuscule compared to what they are about to find out. We are convinced of that, even if we don't know ourselves what that means. But that brings me to my next thing. A gift for you. A farewell gift? In both our cultures, this is sometime appropriate, is it not? Hercules didn't care about cultural appropriateness. He just liked presents. I give you a hunt, Gar said. You're going to let me hunt you? Gar made his terrifying laughing expression, made more terrifying because no sound accompanied it. No, my friend, I'm going to give you something else to hunt. I was hunting it myself when my people pulled me away from it. I have never hunted anything like it before, and I think that it may be something that might help you and your people. A hunt, eh? Hercules smirked. Tell me more. Two days later, Hercules stood at the edge of a lake, looking into its waters. At night, he had seen a faint pink glow from the bottom of the lake. The trail Gar had given Hercules had led him to this spot. Arriving here, he had seen the traces of a creature that did not belong. It dragged a tail, or maybe it merely dragged its body. It had two legs that it walked on, but those may have been arms, too. A dragon? Hercules could only hope. A dinosaur? Even better. He closed his eyes, centered himself. The thing was out there. He could feel it. It was little more than that, a feeling, but it was enough. The thing was invisible, 
but it had made its presence known by subtle movements Hercules noticed in the leaves, muffled noises he heard in the wind, faint prints he perceived in the sand. And there was the fishy smell that wafted through the air, never in the same place. Whatever carried that smell moved around the lake and the surrounding forest. By themselves, they may have just been Hercules' imagination, but together, he pieced together the image of an invisible beast, a monster that had taken up residence here, Gar's beast. He wished his friend had stayed to hunt with him. A gentle growl pulled him out of his trance-like state. A bear? No, three of them. Mama and two cubs. They paid him no heed. He pulled his battle axe off his back hefted it in his hand, now examining the ground in front of him, now perking his ears up and listening for faint noises under the sound of the nearby waves, now tensing and relaxing his powerful muscles, now readying his legs to spring into action to join the chase. Was it out there? No. The thing was not out there. It was here. Very close. The bears ran toward Hercules from the tree line, running behind him and then darting down the shoreline. They were scared, just running scared, disoriented, terrified. Hercules' grip on the battle axe tightened. The predator-prey relationship was shifting, flipping. The thing was out there. The bears were proof. Its presence had spooked them. Was the creature actually hunting Hercules now? That was even more exhilarating. The bears ran this way and that, plunging into the water and then out and into the trees and then out. But how could anything outrun a presence? Dodge a feeling. The thing was close. So close that, to the bears anyway, it was everywhere. Hercules waited. Motionless. Breathless. At some point, moments ago, he had taken his last breath and held it without even thinking, as his entire existence reached out, all his senses as one, seeking direction, seeking evidence, seeking existence, seeking the thing. And then it struck. The barest whisper of air warned him in time to move, but not in time to be missed. A heavily muscled limb slammed into Hercules' shoulder from above, flesh, smacking flesh, spinning him around. Using the momentum, ignoring the pain, Hercules swung the axe and connected with the invisible limb. A thick, green liquid trailed behind the axe as he continued his spin, putting his other arm up, clenching his hand into a big, meaty fist, and punching the visible, open wound of the thing. A painful charge of energy traveled through his body, but the brunt of the pain was in his fist. The energy spun him back around, and he ended up in the grassy soil on his face. He stood scrambling to face the thing, adjusting his battle axe in his hand, breathing heavily. Imprints of beastly feet could be seen, pressed into the earth. Behind the creature, the wound was visible. The powerful limb that had slammed Hercules had been its tail, it seemed. The bleeding wound was all that could be seen of the creature. Green ichor dripped from the axe's damage. Something like muscle could be seen through the open flesh. Amazingly, the wound seemed to be closing. The thing was healing itself. There was little time. His left hand still pulsing in pain, Hercules drew three throwing knives from his belt, launching them at near supersonic speeds at the floating wound in the thing's tail that served as a moving, swaying target. Two of the knives hit the wound itself. The other hit some other part of the thing's body. A shoulder, perhaps? 
The details did not matter. The knife bounced off harmlessly. The creature remained silent and invisible, making it impossible for Hercules to know if the attack was a success. He did not care. The battle was joined. His blood ran hot. He leapt forward, crossing the distance between them in three paces. The momentum allowed the battle axe to embed itself in the thing, this time burying itself so deep that Hercules could not pull it free. And this time, the thing cried out. It also lashed out, swinging its tail round and slamming into Hercules' stomach. The thing's closing wound sprayed Hercules with green liquid and tossed him into the air. His body crashed into a tree, fell to the ground. He gasped for breath, scrambled to stand. Ahead of him, his battle axe floated with the green blood of the beast, he assumed that it was blood, dripping to the ground. Left shoulder? Most likely. New target. His sights on what he thought would be the center of the thing's chest, Hercules ran forward. Neck loose, eyes locked. He wanted to laugh, but saved his breath. This was living. He had not felt so alive since those days with Ryan, the Minotaur, over a century before. A flash of silver caught his eye as a metallic device was conjured into existence from the creature's left side. Oh no, Hercules whispered. This was no mere beast. No, this creature carried a weapon built from technology that Hercules had never seen. The metallic device emitted an explosion of light that slammed into Hercules' chest. It lifted the demigod into the air and slammed him into the trees behind him. He tumbled backward on the ground lifelessly. That, Hercules said, hurt. An unseen limb pulled the battle axe from the thing's flesh and dropped it on the ground next to Hercules. Two bleeding wounds floated away. But this battle was not over. Hurt as he was, Hercules drew himself to his feet behind the creature. You should not have turned your back. The creature turned back toward Hercules. I should not have spoken aloud, Hercules said. He measured in his mind where he imagined the face of the creature to be. He clenched his fist, and he launched himself forward. The fist hit, and hit hard. The creature dropped, and dropped hard. It still lived. Jane would appreciate that. He took out his phone, tapped the message, Hunt is over, need pickup, have special thing. And when he tapped the G, his fingertip went through the screen. Well, that complicated things. He looked at the invisible thing on the ground. He'd better start walking. He hefted the monster over his shoulder and began the trek home. The creature stirred. Hercules punched it in the face once more. This was going to get old. Next, House of Heroes Prologue, Part 2, The Alien Woman. Hey everyone, Ben Avery here, and just wanted to just drop you a note about why we're doing this episode in this way, and that is because this is House of Heroes, which is actually meant to be part of our supporters' feed, and the book itself is, the full book is going to be part of the supporters feed, but we decided to include the prologue here in the regular feed so that later on, when we have some characters from House of Heroes show up in the big crossover stuff that's happening as we wrap up season one, uh, they will not just show up out of the blue 
even though I've already mentioned before in the past that I want to use Hercules as a character. Also, House of Heroes was going to have a completely different uh, story and completely different characters, and they just were not... They weren't letting me write their story, and it wasn't great. It wasn't good. Uh, and it wasn't until I finally latched on to this combination for House of Heroes that I really felt like this is something fun, this is something good. And so... That's why if anyone knew any of the details about House of Heroes before now, uh, that's that's what this is. But I also want to point out this is a scaled back version of what that is going to be for the, uh, the, the supporters feed. And so I do want to just say, hey, if you want to get the full version, then go to the supporters feed and you can hear this story and its continuation in, in that feed uh, over the next few months. But... For right now, uh, there are going to be three more parts. Part one, part two, part three, part four. Part three and part four are two other characters, and you will meet them as we go along the way. But thank you so much for listening, and don't forget, you can always go to supersonicpodcomics.com to find more information about this, and that's where you can also find information about um, the supporters' feed and and how to support Supersonic Podcomics. And uh, again, thank you for listening. And Godspeed.